You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to uh, Desert Rock FM on the Batuta Advocate radio show with Clancy and Errol. Sitting out here in the Diamantina, it's dried out a little bit since the uh, since the river went up over the last couple of weeks and uh, everyone up north are putting back in their fence posts. But we have a special guest today. He's doing a tour. He just did a corporate lunch down at the Batuta Leagues last night. He's been kind enough to come and visit us. 67 caps for the Wallabies. Captain them 10 times. Phil Cairns, thanks for joining us. Terrific to be here and it was a lovely feed uh, at the Leagues Club. That uh, fish straight from Menindi was uh, terrific uh, mm. to have. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, you don't get any flathead that's better than the stuff you get out of the Darling River. Mm. <laughs> Bit so of dry ice. Mm. Uh How'd the, uh, how'd the Corpy go, you know, with all those leagueies? Yeah, no, we, we just talked some of the great qualities of rugby league, um, you know, respectful to all. That's yep. We embrace everyone in our game and mm-hmm. uh, in that rugby league game. Um, I'm not sure a lot of them understood what I was saying, mm. but because uh, I, I used, you know, a couple of words with more than three or four syllables. King's English. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, no, we respect all our sports mm. around here, regardless of what they are. Um, but great fans of the 13-man code. I'm not sure they knew where the other two fit in uh, in the 15-man code. Yeah, no, I read in the paper the other day that there were a couple of people who were upset that the Waratahs and the Reds, they played their game on the SCG just there a few days ago and they destroyed the pitch apparently. And apparently they were lost as to why the leagueies and the, and the aerial ping-pong boys, they didn't tear up the pitch quite as bad and they had to explain the concept that the two scrums are indeed different yeah yeah we push in our scrums and uh we've actually got some real big blokes so the average scrum these days is around 900 kilos um which is a little bit more than the rugby league scrum Mm -hmm. and and their shoulders do actually meet and they do actually push against each other Mm -hmm. so it creates quite a bit of force and a bit of turf that was laid three days earlier um, <laughs> probably isn't going to cut it uh, out there on the SCG. Uh, I mean, the key th- and the other thing about that game is you're a, you you understand you're a long, long way from the ground when you're at the SCG. You are, yeah. Huge amount of distance. The only person in the commentary box who could see anything was Greg Clark because he had his binoculars on. Uh, but Timmy Horan and I called most of it off the TV because we couldn't see who the players were. It was a long way away. Now, well, that's one thing we want to talk to you about today is about how, you know, the game has gotten bigger and stronger and, and you know, the, the scrums are now, you know, you may as well take a car out there and cut a few hoops because the, the players <laughs> are such specimens. You got to see both sides of that. You were in the amateur era where there'd be a lot of players kind of waking up and wringing out the piss before they even hit hit the paddock and then and then obviously you got to see it go into where it is now where there's people that look like David Pocock. Yeah, and uh, every jersey now is like uh, is painted on. Yeah, it's painted on. You know, they're, they're skin tight. There is nothing to grab onto. Yeah, there's not a lot of players around in any code that look like David Pocock. That, no. That's a special specimen. That one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I was seen to be a pretty big bloke when I was playing, and I was playing weight was sort of been a, between 108 and 112 kilos. 
and uh, my props were maybe a little bit heavier. Ewan McKenzie was a bit of a monster at 118 kilos, but now you've got guys 125, 130 mm. running around, and, and the second row is the same. You know, there's plenty of six-foot eighters and 130, 140 kilo guys, which um, it's a little bit scary. I mean, one of the scariest was when wingers stopped being little white guys mm-hmm. and when Jonah Loma <laughs> came along. Yeah, I think uh, the whole world was watching that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was a bit scary when Jonah came along and, you know, he was as big as a number eight or, or second rower and could run real quick and... Handled... What, what they say built like a steakhouse, handled like a bistro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was it, mate. He was, he was impossible to stop. There's some great footage of uh, my great mate Rod Kafer trying to tackle Jonah on a couple of occasions because in one game, Kafer did pick Jonah up and sit him on his bum. Yeah. Uh, and the next time the two came together, that was in a trial game, and then when they two came together in the actual competition round, we have video footage of it at Fox Sports uh, where, where Kafer does go backwards at least eight metres uh, <laughs> to be set on his backside. It's one of the great sights in world rugby, uh, watching Jonah run, but even a better sight seeing Cave getting smashed. Yeah. Now, you got to see the All Blacks go from like a, a national kind of pastime to a national machine as well uh, on the other side of the ditch. Mind you, in that era, the Wallabies were doing a similar thing and Australian sport was, was ripping and tearing uh, across the board, you know, from... Rafter to you guys to you know to the Australian cricket side like we were having a great run but New Zealand obviously all of their energy was channeled into the All Blacks and you had to play them uh, you know a couple times a year sometimes more uh, what was it like watching that I was lucky I was, I was played in a great team I played the All Blacks nineteen times and won eleven yeah. so I came out in the right side yeah, of the yeah, draw yeah. on that one and and so I was lucky to play in a, a great era with a great team uh, we have. A couple of unfortunate things here, and they're called AFL and Rugby League. Yep. Um, you can imagine the team that we could put together for the Wallabies if we if we didn't have those two codes <laughs> yeah. and we all played rugby. Buddy um, Franklin. We, yeah, we, we'd be difficult to stop. That has been a hindrance to our rugby superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've punched above our weight for a long period of time. You know, when you when you look at the some of the European nations, like England, have got more players in the world than anywhere else. Yeah. And, yeah. They're becoming dominant. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Zealand just have one single focus, and it's you know forget rugby league or soccer yeah. over there, and they're smart enough not to have AFL. Yeah. They've got a big advantage in that. Their whole national psyche is pointed towards one mm-hmm. team, which being part of the All Blacks would be a bit weird too. I reckon. Yeah, it'd be a bit. Yeah, it'd be a bit too culty. I think it'd be women want to marry you, men want to be you kind of thing. Yeah. Which, of course, you guys had a little bit as well. You said 11 out of 19. That was uh, it was pretty red hot. You look at some of the teams I was lucky enough to play in and you think about the back lines that, that we had. You know, the, the 99 winning World Cup team back line when you had Gregan, Larkham, Horan, Little, Roth, Tune and Burke. Queenslanders how do, how do you yeah. not win? <laughs> how do you not win? There were Queenslanders <laughs> with the team. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to win when you've got a team like that. Yeah, no, and and it was also lucky too that when Chris Latham, when he decided that that he'd like to pull down the socks and uh, hop into t- to Matt Burke's boots, he uh, he was more than an apt. Yeah, and he was a New South Welshman that went 
up he, he wasn't there, his from there Narrabri, north. He is. Yeah, and you also you, you forget that we were captained by your good friend uh, John Eels yes. as well at yeah. the time. <laughs> yes, yeah, John Eels, another great Queenslander. Um, tell us a little bit more about where you're at now post-playing because obviously we look at you, you're looking fit, you're well-dressed, you're not a pokey rep or, you know, like <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing what a lot of ex-sportsmen do Close. in this country. <laughs> is it funny that you're kind of going to – Work with Tim Horan, and you kind of you can't get away from these blokes. Or yeah, Tim Timmy's in funds management now. He's yeah. really moved up scale. He was in banking before that, so you know you can see what a dodgy character he is mm. by being in those industries. Yeah. There's a recent report into all that. I think. Yeah, there, there was something. I'm not sure if it got out to Batuta. I'm sure it would have. There'd be some banking criminals out here for sure. There are. There's uh, there's lots of people who didn't put their name down on the the census we had last year yeah. you know there were lots of people who decided uh, it'd be better if the government didn't know that they were living out here in the Diamond Tennis Shire yeah. well, well Horan would be one of those for sure yeah I mean I'm sure he would use opals as a form of currency if he could <laughs> cryptocurrency and opals oh, <laughs> they're right. two things that he uses I imagine the crypto is pretty big in the rugby union world right now a lot of those young players. Kurtley bought that new Range Rover with crypto, didn't he? <laughs> I, I think that Kurtley got that new Range Rover through the most old-fashioned way that you can get one, just through a handshake and a... And a long lunch. Yeah, that's it. What other way is there? <laughs> so aside from, uh, from doing your work with Fox Sports, you work in insurance now, and, and you've also got another side hustle as well, I'd imagine, where you're... You're trying to raise some money for Olympic athletes who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to go over and compete in these games. Yeah, I, I've I've developed a little bit of a passion for actually trying to properly fund sport in Australia, yep. and uh, that passion grew out of um, a couple of things. But one, my daughter is a budding; she'd love to be an Olympian. She plays water polo, mm -hmm. but when you see what drives athletes and drove me was seeing heroes mm -hmm. in yeah. the Olympics: Landy, Elliot. Yep. You know, Raylene Boyle run and, and seeing... Jai Tarima. Jai Tarima. <laughs> yeah, you're bringing some names out there. And, uh, and you know, so those uh, those legends, Dawn Fraser and yep. you, you know, they're the people that inspired a nation to get off their ass and do stuff. Mm -hmm. And so our funding has decreased dramatically. We won 58 medals in Sydney and now we're down to 29 at Rio and we'll continue going backwards unless we spend some coins. So I've been and seen Bill and Scott. Yeah. Uh, and they've decided, it seems, to do not very much. Yep. Um, you know, the issues around national pride, mental health, um, you know, the health, general health and well-being of, of our kids, et cetera, et cetera, they seem uh, to be secondary to buying submarines and planes. Yeah, well, that, that was one yeah. thing. We spoke to uh, Ian Healy earlier, oh, sorry, late last year, and Healy was, uh, uh, as he pointed out, you can see it in India, you know, when they're winning in the cricket. You can see the entire nation's mood changes. It kind of lifts everyone, and that's what you're kind of talking about here. It's like if we, yeah. we we need to actually make allowances for feeling these feelings that you get from seeing, you know, Phil Kearns go over and. Well, I mean, the thing that kills me the most is that the Poms actually think they're a better sporting nation than us now. Yeah. How hard does that hit you? Yeah. Yeah, it's because they're not. No, well, <laughs> if you go on medal count, they are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and uh, well, they spend a bucket load of money on sport, which we don't. Well, yeah. how much are we spending? Like, How much money is the government pouring into sport now? 
We uh, the government spends one hundred and fifty million dollars on our forty five Olympic sports, right. uh, which is point zero two seven percent of the Australian budget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if we doubled it and took it to point zero five four percent of yep. the Australian, it's not a huge amount of money. So there's uh, there's lots of scope to do. And to put to put it in in perspective, I know that one of the universities uh, in the US. Um, spends $400 million a year. So that's one university in the yeah. US spending more than double what we spend here. Probably with a stadium that could fit all of our stadiums yeah. in it. Well, they hosted the 84 Olympics. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, is where their football ground is. Oh, right, right. Atlanta. Yeah, right. Uh, no, no, LA. LA. So LA. Yeah. Coliseum. Right, right. Well, as you were talking about earlier, how the government's more inclined to spend the money on objects of war, I'm just reading here that, I, uh, that an F, 35 that we've bought, you know, they have a, a unit cost of almost 90 million US dollars a piece. Mm. So basically, if if we didn't buy just another <laughs> one of those jet planes, we could probably win a lot more gold medals. <laughs> yeah, one plane which will probably delivered in 2036. Yeah. yeah. We could have one less. That's going to keep us... And that'll keep our medal tally a little bit higher. But... Yeah. Wouldn't you rather feel a bit more, you know, like we don't want to really be a weaker nation in terms of, you know, we do have this ominous threat from China and Indonesia and New Zealand. <laughs> uh, well, imagine if Papua New Guinea go rogue. I know. Which, you know, I think they're really the, Prime Minister's they 11, are starting to push into in into the western half of, of their island, into Irian Jaya. And I'm I, I'm actually concerned that we could get another East Timor on our hands, that we could have an, another rogue state. That's why we need a $90 million jet to, um, yeah, to, that, to take the rebels down. That we need to drop a, a, a $250,000 guided bomb onto six people in the back of a Hilux in the <laughs> highlands of PNG. I, I think that's a more pertinent use to our public funds. I, I think you're right. Um, the right, threat from so. Bathurst Island, Melville Island, if those people, you know, become armed. Mm. Yep. And, um, of but, course, the submarines. What was it? Uh, $50 billion the other day for seven submarines yeah. I'll just hop on to fight ISIS now. underwater. $50 billion, which is, as, yeah. which is as much as the previous Labor government was committed to spending on the NBN. Yeah. Uh, imagine how many gold medals if we spent $50 billion on <laughs> On sport, I we'd mean, win every medal. We'd have, uh, we'd have a team of Pococks. We'd have a team of <laughs> of Cameron Smiths and Cooper Cronks. We'd have athletes with a little red light coming out of their eye. I think with fifty billion dollars. Yeah, right. So, aside from the Olympics, the uh, you know the gold medal tallies, we've kind of dropped off as well in terms of our other sports. I mean, aside from the pajama cricket, I mean, we've really not got a world-beaten team in te- well in men's you know our our ladies teams have have won a lot of big titles and everything but you know you rarely get media on that these days wouldn't Elia, you? Elia yeah. and um and Charlotte Catholic are really kind of paving the way in sevens which I think has been great for rugby union you know got bring home gold medals from the Olympics what are you, what are your thoughts on across the board outside of I mean not just Olympics what do you think's going on uh, with our non domestic codes because our domestic codes you know it's like the WWE there's fireworks everything's you know there's scandals there's all kinds of stuff going on there's a lot of eyes on it uh, what what about our yeah our national sides 
you know, it is the players certainly have a major part of it, but mm-hmm. the players uh, have to be part of an infrastructure that is also performing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's no secret the Queensland Rugby Union just announced they'd lost a million bucks last year, and that's part of a bigger uh, story. Um, Australian rugby. Is that on Carmichael or what? Uh, well, p- partly. <laughs> yeah. Carmichael, Quaid and James Slipper, who are no longer playing for the Reds, but yeah. the Reds are still partially funding them. Uh, we're not making much money at Australian Rugby Union level either, but then you look at our cricket codes and the administration there haven't covered themselves in glory either. Mm, no. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a number of sports who possibly rugby league may have had a pretty bad off-season as well. That is mostly player-driven rather than administration-driven. Uh, <laughs> off-season from hell. still, uh, you know, so right across the board and all those male codes, mm-hmm. we're having some issues which the women's codes don't seem to be having. And that's a question I want to get to. Do you think that's because a lot of them are still kind of in that amateur kind of twilight? Do you think that's a lot more get-off-your-ass? Uh, for, for the women's codes right now? Because you, you, you played where they're at right now, you, you were at um, and, and the game was at. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a different attitude, different atmosphere? Uh, absolutely. And, yeah. you, and you can notice, uh, and, I, and I've met a few of the Australian women's sevens girls a few times, they're, they're terrific ambassadors. There's this sense that they're just playing because they want to play. Yeah, there's no brand. And there's no, there's no brand... Quaid or Kirtley or yeah. whatever, Israel or whatever, they're just there to play. Mm-hmm. And they're there, particularly in the sevens. You know, we, we, you mentioned what you're kind of working on now. Does it kind of uh, – do you see red when you see the uh, the politicians going to these matches and showing their face and, and, and kind of, you know, harvesting political points off being in a bloody cricket match or a football match when you know that they've done – close to fuck all to actually, you know, get those results. Well, and and the Olympians and ex-Olympians are being asked every day by government to go with them and meet some world leader from Cuba or Afghanistan yeah. or wherever they are that might have a particularly a particular penchant for pole vaulting. So mm-hmm. they'll ring up one of the pole vaulters and say, can you come to this meeting? And they're constantly getting asked to do that. Um, but there's no favours in return from, well, the, from the rowers, government to the Olympics. The rowers are handing out canapes for, for Gina Reinhardt. <laughs> but Gina's funding them so, so they can do that. So Gina, Gina's funding the rowing and the swimming. She's chosen to fund sports that are um, kind of uh, across the board equal uh, gender-wise, which I imagine water polo is as well, the, the women's and the men's. Uh, that's that's Gina's kind of contribution, which I, which you know, obviously greatly appreciated by the players who are having their rent paid and uh, being put on allowances. What would be happening to the rowers right now if it wasn't for Gina Reinhardt? Uh, well, if I can put it into perspective, with one athlete who did win gold, and that's um, Chloe Esposito, mm-hmm. um, won gold and got not one cent um, from the federal government. Now she does get a little bit of money, um, but she lives in Belgium with a father, uh, and that's where they train and compete in, over there in Europe. Um, her mother runs a swim school in Western Sydney. Um, her husband is back here and works, and they send money over so that uh, they can train and compete and try and win. Um, the government gives Chloe a little bit of money now, uh, and claim her as their own, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they gave her nothing before she won that gold. And you can't, and you can't hit, you know, you can't head out in the Olympics with a bit of a, you know, oak milk across the front of your jersey, can you? <laughs> no, no, they don't allow that. Yeah, 
Yeah. If only they did. Yeah. Um, Wentworthville have... RSL written across you. Yeah. <laughs> We'd have a little bit <laughs> of Goulburn Valley going yeah. on for the rowers again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're allowed to have Batuta yeah. uh, leagues or something like that across. Yeah, yeah. Your well, chest. well, the Batuta I mean, Dolphins is the league side, and of course, the, the Batuta Porpoises are the rugby union side in town. Yeah. First um, saltwater porpoises in the Simpson <laughs> Desert. But, uh, you said you spoke to Bill. You know, I'd be interested to hear what Bill Shorten's idea of sport is because he is famously not that into sport. You know, he's more into telling people to go on strike. And, mm. you know. <laughs> Mind you, he has modelled his career off a famous Olympian, um, yes. Stephen Bradbury. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, to to be fair to Bill. He actually got it more than Scott. Yeah, right. Uh, Bill, Bill got it, and what we've actually turned sport into these days is something that's only accessible to rich kids. Yeah, and uh, you know it costs about ten thousand bucks to send your kid to a junior world championships, for example. Right. Um, and I've had stories from athletes and from their parents saying that you know they sold the family car mm-hmm. so they could send their kid overseas and and literally doing that sort of stuff. So it is something accessible to rich kids only, and Bill doesn't like that, yeah. um, and neither do I. So what I asked both he and Scott for for the same thing is I asked them for $250 million a year yeah. rather than 150 so not a massive, you know, ask. Well, we've just, we've just um, done the maths on the aeroplanes and the submarines, yeah. so in the, in the scheme of things, not really. Pretty so, small. Yeah. And I asked for a... to go without two jet planes. <laughs> two jet planes. <laughs> That's, well, actually, only one, because it's a, if we keep the 150, True. we only yeah. need one more plane, and mm-hmm. we're nearly there, mm-hmm. uh, or one less plane, we're almost there. And I asked for $3 billion for a future fund for sport, mm-hmm. and that way we never have to go back to the government again and ask them for a coin. We can just live off the dividends of that and hopefully grow that and and have something that's that's there for sport forever. Yeah, if, if there's one group of people, I think that would be probably the best at being at the helm of that fund. I, I'd, pro- I'd probably feel more comfortable if there were a bunch of union boys. Mm. Well, and, and, and to right. add to yeah. that, we had a, we've got a great ex-boxer named uh, Lind, Johan Lind, and he was a mm-hmm. super heavyweight that mm-hmm. competed uh, at the Olympics, and uh, he works for New South Wales Treasury. Right. So I think he'd be a great bloke that could head, and he's, I've got to say, about six foot six, and I reckon I'd put him in 115 <laughs> kilo. Right. So he'd be a great guy to guard that money. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe... Uh, with his hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He'd do a better job than, uh, yeah, than than the night watchman Morrison, of course. We need to ask across the board, you know, what, what have you kind of seen? Like, are, are the stories that you know you mentioned that one before about the families having to sell the car? Has there been like an Ian Thorpe who's had to, you know, not go to, to, to the Olympics and you know have to go and actually work? Mm. Well, they, they never become famous because yeah. they can't go on and, yeah, yeah. And, and do it. But there are lots of stories. You know, there's a, a, a female boxer I've just become aware of and she's selling T-shirts um, on Facebook now to try and um, fuel her Olympic uh, gold dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a shooter who's ranked four in the world, uh, an Australian uh, trap shooter, and he was driving seven hours um, to go to training, three and a half hours each way. Um, so instead of doing that, his family sold the family farm uh, and bought a smaller one so they had enough money to fund putting a range on the farm. Um, so p- parents are going to extraordinary lengths yeah. to help their kids become athletes. Um, and it's just not right. Well, uh, you know, election coming up, uh, state election as well. So uh, th- that is one thing we need to ask, though. People say when we were winning and we were winning, we mentioned it earlier across cricket, 
you know, uh, tennis and rugby. Was there a lot more money coming in pre-Olympics? Yeah. That's that's the conspiracy that Australia wanted to look good and on the world stage. How much were we spending back then? Uh, so uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, 2010, we were spending just uh, on 200 million uh, on sport, and so and we've that's gone a high back, watermark. And we've gone, yeah, that was a high watermark. So well, we we probably spent more in Sydney. I don't want the don't know what the <laughs> number was back in before the Sydney Olympics, but yeah. it would have been more. Yeah. Uh, and but it would have been we had less travel and less expenses and those sort of things back then. But yeah, uh, we spent two hundred million dollars. So we've gone backwards by a quarter, and mm-hmm. and I've, there's a thing called inflation. So prices normally go up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more expensive to compete. And if you're thinking about cyclists, you know the cost of a bike or the rowers, the cost of rowing boats. Everything's the, made the of shelves, titanium. Like everything's yeah. titanium. Yeah. Everything's yeah. gone up in price. The Paralympic athletes um, trying to to campaign. I know that they've got some crowdfunding pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one of the girls um, has got a crowdfunding page. She needs twenty grand to buy a bike to compete in triathlon at the next Olympics. Yeah. Um, so this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to scab around and. Uh, put their hand out for some and coins. That's not their job. No one who needs to do that's particularly good at it. They need, you know, that needs to be provided for them. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. At least to get some equipment. I was actually talking to Zali Stegel the other night, the other day just to drop a name. And uh, when she went to the Olympics, uh, she had to pay for excess baggage to get her skis on board. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's a, you know, it's been going around for a while. Now, that's something we do want to uh, talk about. Your name was thrown in the ring as the possible uh, Zali Stegel uh, yeah. leading into the federal as, election. As I'm not a very good skier. killer. <laughs> yeah, it was. I got two phone calls <laughs> along the way <laughs> saying, I hear you're running. I said, thanks for letting me know because I didn't know I was running. Um, but no, never, never a thought. Never, Never a thought. Uh, do you live in the Warringah electorate? I do live okay. in the Warringah electorate. I do see the signs, the anti-Tony signs. Mm-hmm. They really don't like him nah. in the area. It's going to yeah. be a tough battle for him. Yeah, well, and also Zali sounds like one that would be in your corner. She, uh, yeah, yeah, I think she she's she's, she's she definitely that. supports the yeah. uh, Olympic cause. There's 300, nearly 300 athletes now that uh, are supporting the cause and are behind me and mm-hmm. And it's actually exciting for me to see, you know, people like Shelley Watts and Nana Mears and Herb Elliott and Dawn Fraser and Raylene Boyle. They're they're all emailed me and they said, "We're behind you. We're with you." And uh, and you know, they're they're my heroes. Yeah. Let's just talk about the donor kind of setups and and the philanthropy in the rugby. There's been a lot of people over the years that throw their hands up to revolutionise the game with their own money. What are your thoughts on that, Twiggy Forrest? Of course, there was a similar one when you were playing with Packer, uh, with the what was that called? The World Rugby Corporation. World yeah, Rugby yeah, Corporation. Yeah, that was in '95. One of yep, '95, '96. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you, What do you think of this? These kind of um, hands-on kind of uh, figures. Yeah. I think it's fantastic that yeah. they've got a passion for, for mm-hmm. a game and, and if they've got the coin that they're willing to, to, to help. There's a thing called the Australian Sports Foundation, which uh, they can make their uh, make their donations tax deductible mm-hmm. uh, as well which, and then direct them to whatever sport needs to be directed to. Uh, Twiggy's one's an interesting one. Um, you know, Australian rugby, Twiggy's saying we've got $50 million to, to spend. Mm-hmm. Um Geez, you'd be sidling alongside him and buying a schooner, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean that's. that's are you so you're pro do. you're pro Twiggy in, in the scheme of things with the? I know the rugby yeah. world is divided. On, yeah, um, I know that. Uh, certainly, where rugby Australia's gone in recent years has kind of you know split people down the middle, and now you've got Twiggy over there in the West who is willing to put his money where his mouth is, and 
And yeah, I, I just think it's probably good for the game, but in in the same way, it's causing a lot of division. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a fan. I've got to say of the the rugby idea up into you know I think it's called rapid rugby that they're trying to get up. I'm not sure I'm a fan of that. Uh, more but, of a purist. Yeah, I'm more of a purist, and just I think <laughs> the T20 you know, of rugby. We, we got it. We got it, and I'm not sure that uh, the Malaysians, Taiwanese, Vietnamese, yeah. etc., are really built for yeah. the 15-a-side yeah. game. Seven-a-side yeah. game, different yeah. story. And it, well, it took the Japanese a couple of decades. They weren't at that level when you were playing at all. No, no. they were. It wasn't until they beat South Africa in the World, <laughs> in the World Cup that they <laughs> came to the fore. The person who got the most out of that was Eddie Jones, really, wouldn't it, you know? Well, he ends up coaching England. I don't know how much money he's making coaching England, but he's making a bucket load. So you say over there. more than the Reds in the early two thousands? Uh, yeah, slightly. Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit. Well, more maybe than that's why the Reds are in financial trouble. Maybe they paid Eddie too much. Who knows? <laughs> they paid him Japan money. <laughs> uh, so, what 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 is the um, feeling? Do you think uh, Twiggy's idea could work? Do you think Alice Springs could have a rugby team professional? Oh, you know, Twiggy's idea. His passion is for Western Australia and to get Western Australia back in into uh, Australian rugby. And I think, you know, there's got to be some sort of pathway that you can make. Mightn't be next year or the year after, but maybe if you create a five- or seven-year plan to get WA back as part of Super Rugby, mm-hmm. then I'm sure that yeah. it's got to be achievable. Um, it's just too much of an enticing uh, thing for a code to do is to miss out on that sort of money. And, and, and look, the, the force over there... Uh, in WA, they weren't. It wasn't anything like the Suns in the AFL and the Gold Coast. They had a fan base, you know. Obviously, uh, South African Kiwi expat community that's existing in Perth. And you were on the ground. Did you see it? Was it a real fan base? There's an everything community over there in yeah. WA yeah. from, you know, the Welsh, the Irish, the Scots, yeah. they're all There's there, the South Africans, there, yeah. heaps of Poms and South Africans. And, you know, they would they would fill that ground, yeah. um, depending on who was playing. But certainly for a local derby or when they were playing the Crusaders, they'd filled that ground up. Yeah. And so there was that passion uh, there. Uh, it wasn't like the Western Reds Rugby League uh, <laughs> over there. They actually had people turning up to the game. Adelaide Rams. Playing it. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, no, it was good. And it's real and it's palpable and they're a passionate community over there and, and they feel, uh, probably rightly, they weren't respected. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, uh, that the IRB has, uh, has finally responded to Twiggy and their sort of latest brainwave that they've come up with is, is this world league concept where they've got basically the six nations but they've included italy um overlooked other sort of rugby big nations like they've overlooked georgians they've overlooked a couple of other people portugal <laughs> portugal too and spain and yeah. russia too from that kiribati yeah kiribati but um They've decided to form, you know, like a Six Nations team in in the Southern Hemisphere, but chosen to include a Northern Hemisphere team in Japan and only one Pacific Island. They've overlooked, you know, Argentina, which has got like the fourth highest amount of rugby union players in the world. They've overlooked them and they've always been a very competitive team. What are your feelings on, on this new World League? Won't happen. No? No. No, not in the short term. It just will not happen uh, in the short term. And uh, there's also the added confusion now that um, one of the private equity firms is looking to buy uh, half of the Six Nations tournament. And the Six Nations uh, will make a lot more money out of that up north than they will out of having a World League. If we, if we, could, uh, if we could put all the levers in your hands 
for the next yeah. couple of years. What, yeah. what, what would you be your yeah. play? Is there a culture Say, you would you know, need to remove? Is there a... Yeah, gee, I, I, I shouldn't say too much because I ran for the ARU job last time and missed out. Uh, so I've got to be very careful well, what I say. I nearly did have the levers. Uh, but certainly one of the biggest things and one of the growing strengths in our game is, uh, is club rugby. Mm-hmm. And the return to uh, the good times of club rugby um, is really important. And that's where... Uh, I learnt to play footy, Mm -hmm. was in the club having my head shoved up my ass by some cranky 38-year-old prop that was at the end of his career with bung knees. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some copper down at Randwick. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and and that was the way you learnt to play, and they taught you the game. And what we've done a lot over the past is break down that pathway, uh, of the recent past, is break down that pathway. And now kids are going straight from year 10 at school into some elite program where they actually don't play footy anymore. Yeah. Well, they actually have a viral YouTube video first. So yes. It goes from yeah. grade, 10 to, <laughs> grade 10 to getting a knee injury <laughs> playing for the Melbourne Rebels. <laughs> well, how do you feel about what you know people like Nick Fordham have sort of done with uh, club rugby down there in Sydney? You know, is, is that a step in the right direction, you know, to have it like... Uh, a carnival atmosphere with you know helicopters and fireworks and and things like that. It's you know I was at the Randwick uh, East game last year and there were about eight thousand down there for that game with mm. terrific crowd. Um, Ringer and Manly get regular crowds and and part of the thing behind that is, is tribalism. Yep. And yeah. uh, you know you'd see it in the Queensland country towns yeah. when they're uh, bashing each other up. But tribalism. Is uh, is fantastic. You know, we had twenty thousand at the grand final at North Sydney Oval, and yeah. and people are seeing that tribalism in their local communities, and yeah. they want to be part of it. Yeah. And we've got to, you know, as a code, we've got to embrace that and figure out ways we can help through that grassroots focus. So, how come all of this tribalism and enthusiasm isn't trickling up? You know, like how come we haven't got, how come we haven't got that type of enthusiasm in the NRC, in you know, and indeed. Up into the up into the state teams and into the national team. You know? No one gives a stuff about the NRC. Um, to to be completely frank, did you say that when they announced it? Did you say that was what was going to happen? Because a lot of yeah. people were saying that. Yeah, no, Are no we one going to a, no spending one cares a lot of energy about, for something that's not going to work. Was that the feeling? No one cares too much about Canberra playing Queensland country. Yeah. Not a lot of tried. They don't hate each other a yeah. lot. Those those yeah. two areas. Yeah. Um, so there's not a lot. Around that tribalism is critical. It's, I mean, it's why you know the AFL is so successful. Yeah. They have a lot of tribalism involved in that. At Super Rugby level, there is tribalism amongst the Australian teams, yeah. and and to a degree, certainly against the Kiwi teams. But I know I don't get up at three o'clock in the morning to watch the Waratahs play against the Cheetahs, Bulls, or the Cheetahs, or whatever it might be. Or the, uh, what's the, the- Juarez. The Juarez. Yeah, the yeah. Juarez. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> that's an expensive flight for that whole team too. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where a lot of money's going. That's like thirty people in, in business class to, to to Argentina. That's you know, Jesus, what's that? That's almost that's almost a quarter of a million dollars in flights. That's a lot of money. It yeah. is. And and you got <laughs> then you go to South Africa and then you yeah. go up to Japan. Yeah, yeah. and Argentina's one leg of a conference, right? It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe everyone should start flying economy. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you really care if the Haguaras beat the Sunwolves. Yeah. 
Oh, oh well, I don't. you don't know me very well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very well For honor. <laughs> invested in that. I spent a lot of time in in Japan as a boy. You know, there is a quite a bit of uh, there is quite a bit of tribalism between England and Argentina for yeah, previous reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Thatcher. I didn't know that Japan war. and Argentina ever went to war. I don't think so. Yeah. We um Ooh. actually I think they took a few of them in after the war. Yeah. But we um we actually were doing a corpy up in Brisbane around winter time last year and went down for a little look at South Annerley. Um and this was an accident that happened in the Queensland Club Rugby was where Quade Cooper was being paid Wallabies money to turn up and play park football. And it revolutionised what was happening down there. There would have been, like you said, 5,000, 8,000 people down there watching Quade play because he can play footy and, you know, you can just rock up and, you know, if you're on the other side of the oval, bring your own pierce, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> so do so you feel like and that was probably the biggest crowd I'd seen in a football match, you know, super or otherwise, yeah. uh, in a long time. Do you feel like that kind of, you know, the dribblers really need to be given a treat like that every now and then, actually keep these guys down there for a week or two a season and have them associated with some sort of club? Yeah, and a great way to come back from injuries. You play a couple of games for your club and you come back and people love it. Mm. They love seeing and having that close access and being able to walk on the field afterwards and shake hands with Quaid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what people want to see and that's what gets kids involved in the game. Uh, there was a, a great quote um, from a, a headmaster that I know. He said, you cannot aspire to what you cannot see. Mm-hmm. So if you're a kid and you see Quaid Cooper play, you want to be like Quaid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, or whoever it is that you want to aspire to. Well, Andrew, Andrew Walker or, was playing down Andrew, that comp about Five years ago, he was still getting around too, playing prems. Yep. Well, yeah. just just one more question before we go, Phil. In the uh, in the event that that the Wallabies do go over to Japan at the end of this year, and we we get flogged in the pool by Wales, Georgia, and Fiji, and the and the people are demanding that heads roll at Rugby Australia, will you be throwing your your cap back in there? Oh geez, that's a loaded question. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure about that. Tell uh, us your deepest aspirations. Yeah. Well, you could give us, uh, you know, the Barnaby Joyce type answer and say, no, this is fine. And then, no, no, I'm very happy with doing what I'm doing at, yep. at the at at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I mean, I, I'm not a big believer that you should go back for a second bite at things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know. Yeah. You never know. Never know. Never say never. No, it's more of a job for, uh, you know, for... A younger man a or back. woman. Yeah. Back. <laughs> no. Well, there is the fallacy in the game, or in most games, at the forwards of the dubbos. But, yeah. uh, in fact, the back line are more interested in, you know, having their hair look good and yeah, that sort yeah. of stuff. Combing their than, hair. Combing their hair than any substance. Mm. Well, so if you want some substance, you get a front rower. Yeah. It sounds like a job for George Gregan then. Cause yeah. He's, in between and got no hair, so we'll see how we go. <laughs> he also has the cologne of a back rower. So, uh, All right. Thank you for joining us today, Phil. It's been a yeah. pleasure being here in Batuta, and uh, you know, anytime you want me back, I'm here. Yeah, right. We'll have to get you back to do the porpoises corpy in, uh, in August. Looking forward to it. Right, uh, the long lunch. No fines allowed. Yes, and thank you to Phil Kearns once again for joining us here in Koala Studios here at Desert Rock FM. We're just coming up to the top of the hour here, so our time is almost up, Clancy. 
Yes, thank you for joining us today, listeners. What a riveting interview that was. And it is interesting to see uh, where Phil Kearns is at uh, post-career. We obviously hear him commentating from time to time, but uh, to see him sticking it to uh, the Night Watchman and the uh, incoming Prime Bradbury will be interesting to watch over the next couple of years as he uh, you know, gets a bit of grassroots support for uh, a bit of funding for our Olympians and, and other Australian uh, sports representatives. And as the winter codes fire up, I'm sure we will be seeing a lot more of him. Uh, thanks for listening. That's it for this week. I'm Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other. And my name is Errol Parker. Stay out of the pokies. Never talk to cops. They're not your friends. They're out to ruin your life.